Hey friends, I'm Taylor and welcome to Taylor Asks a Question. I'm so thankful that you are here listening and joining me in my curiosities. We have more access to each other than at any other time in history, and yet we have never been more disconnected in our real life relationships. So let's connect. We'll discuss the wide spectrum of life's questions. We'll go from what are you binging on Netflix to how do you explain why bad things happen to good people? My hope is that these conversations will bring you joy, encourage you to lead out with compassion, help you discover the beauty and community, and most importantly, that the gospel of Jesus would go forth from this tiny corner of the world. Let's start asking questions. Guys, I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with my friend Tesha. We talk about why reading is so compelling, what it teaches us about love and life, and what books you read just for the hipster points. By the end of this, you're going to want to go out and pick up a new book or three, and she makes a pretty compelling case for why you need to start your journey into Russian literature. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Tasha. All right. Okay, we are here. Um, I'm here with my friend and guest, Tesha. Hi. And <laughs> welcome to Taylor Asks a Question. Thanks. Thanks so much for being a part of my podcast. You're welcome. I'm excited for you. Oh, <laughs> so kind of you. I, I'm so excited to have you here. It's definitely like, it's weird because we're just sitting here talking. We've actually been here. You've been here for two hours yeah yeah because <laughs> we haven't seen each other uh-huh. in like a year like face to face we've definitely prayed you know praise god for social media uh-huh. because uh-huh. we've been able to communicate that way but it's it's been a, we went and we went and got brunch last time which was really fun um the brunch was good brunch was delicious did you have eggs benedict probably i think i did too yeah i always get eggs benedict when i go to brunch same. That's yeah. like my litmus test. Uh-huh. It's like, give me your eggs, Benny. Do you Love do you me. ever get like the the crab or like the salmon? Um, no to salmon. I have gotten crab eggs Benedict one time, and it was at um a place called Pesos, I believe, and the hollandaise was a little more zippy it was like tangy or spicy spicy because it was a mexican restaurant okay and i think it was called pesos i went there with nicole and we both got the crab eggs benedict and it was so good it was very very good but i pretty much try to stick to like the original Mm -hmm. eggs benedict like yeah kind of kind of a litmus test for was there like salsa on it because that sounds good. <laughs> like, I'm, like, thinking, how do I want my next Eggs Benedict? No, I don't. Like, a Mexican-inspired Eggs Benedict sounds really good. You would think that there would be salsa. I don't remember there being salsa um, of any sort. There probably was something. Yeah. I'm sure. Sorry if this sounds weird. I was just, like, readjusting myself, like, sitting. Um yeah so we've just been sitting here talking for two hours as like catching up and i was like let's okay let's maybe record and get some of this conversation we've had very good conversation which i is something i have always appreciated about you is you are super intelligent so you are able to hold a conversation very well you are not intimidated <laughs> by the questions that I ask or the thoughts that I have that are challenging or I I don't know if taboo is the right word, but just a little, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Like, I guess challenging in certain ways yeah. or like addresses the hot topic or the <laughs> like whatever either the church is going through or culture or whatever i just always tend to 
feel like you're a safe person to ask those questions to. You're not necessarily intimidated by them. And I just really appreciate that about you. Thank you. So, yeah. Shucks. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Which is so a part of why, you know, I knew you would be a great person to come on and share. I mean, the, the, one of the main reasons that I have, so with this releasing in the fall, a big thing that a lot of people do is they revisit books a lot. It's like, you know, any aesthetic, like put together, uh, Photoshop, like thing that you would see on like Pinterest has books in it. Like reading and fall yeah. coincides so well. It's such a cozy activity. Mm -hmm. You just like snuggle up, light a candle or diffuser, put on a fire or whatever. Read and you just like, novel. you read, <laughs> it's just like a fall yeah. classic activity. Mm -hmm. And so, um, with this releasing during that time, I just wanted to have someone who I, thought or who I know is very well read, loves to read, um, and can speak well about it. And, um, not only, I mean, also you have such a niche affection for Russian literature, like very few people. I know two other people who, really enjoy Russian literature, which I find totally bizarre. <laughs> but I love because you're, you're because, not alone. I know. <laughs> and but I just love it. and I think that that really it is a reflection of like, you really love to read if you can read Russian literature, mm -hmm. like, if you're if you're going there, because the, most of the books I've seen are very thick. Yeah. Like you could hurt yeah. someone if uh -huh. you knocked them in the head They're with bricks. one. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like there are no short stories in Russian literature. Well, there are actually. Well, there are. Just, people don't read them. They read like Anna Karenina. And yeah. Or and Crime and Punishment and the Brothers Karamazov. That is that is the one. Kar Karamazov? Yeah. That's okay. how, I mean, some people will say like Karamazov. Kar Karamazov? Yeah. I don't know how a Russian person would pronounce it, but in my head, it's been Karamazov. Well, I have, I don't know if I've told you this or maybe, but like my church is, has so many Slavic people. So oh, I cool. will ask them. Yeah, you should. Like they, it's very, lots of Slavic people from Moldova and Russia and yeah, cool. it's really, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I feel like I'm going to, I'm, I feel like I need to take Russian and sure. <laughs> to, yeah. to fit in, That'd but be awesome. no, it's, it's, I, I, I should, should ask them actually, how do you properly pronounce that? My pastor actually also knows Russian. Really? Boise. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. His parents, I believe maybe I'll have to have him on and share the story, but he's second of eight siblings. And I think there was only like three or four of them mm -hmm. when they came over to America when they immigrated. So yeah, he's anyway. Yeah. <laughs> big, big Slavic community in my church, which is really wonderful. Everybody's it's, it's great. So mainly not mainly, but so glad to have you here to talk about reading. And then also obviously um, just get to know you a little bit. So um, Tesha, yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what do you do? Like, do you have like a visceral memory or a memory of like when books started to become part of your life? So like where, tell, tell us about you. Okay. So I'm Tesha. <laughs> um, I, I am an assistant preschool teacher. Um, Shout out to Carol if she's listening. Yes. She probably won't ever listen, but it's fine. <laughs> she might. I think she might if she found out. Maybe that. this episode. You know I mean? Maybe yeah. this one. <laughs> like, hey, we gave you a shout out. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I, like, I actually can think of a visceral, like, image of, of reading. And it is um, when I had a copy of Treasure Island 
And it was mm. before I could read all that well. Like I was, I don't know if I was even in first grade yet, but I remember sitting on my bed and like looking at words and not knowing how to pronounce them or what they meant, but um, figuring it out with the context mm-hmm. and just thinking how magical that was. Huh. Yeah. And so, like, I don't really even remember a whole lot about what happened in Treasure Island, but I remember, like, the experience of, like, having ideas, like, sort of transmuted to my brain through words, you know? So, like, a story, like, something coming to life that you, wasn't your own thoughts, but something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, your brain being told to image something. Right. And just learning like learning about the English language by doing that and like how, how much I loved that it was my own experience and that it didn't have anything to do with like my parents or my teachers or it was just me in this book, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Uh, That's great. Okay. So you are, um, uh, what else do I, (laughs) so that would say, you'd say that's like where you're like, love of like reading Mm -hmm. started and how old did you say that you were I was probably it was probably before first grade I know I was reading really young like I was reading words at four but like Treasure Island is like a full book that's not like a learn how to say you know the cat jumped over the lazy dog like these are like that's a pretty yeah and I didn't like I wasn't reading it fluently like I said I I knew certain words and I was starting to figure out how language itself worked by reading that book okay yeah so okay so that was what started your love of books so how has that grown with reading like why do you love it now uh well for a lot of those same reasons like the idea that you can kind of shut out the world for a moment and you can shut out like everybody's thoughts on whatever politics and religion and theories and all that is going on. And you can kind of um, work those things out in your own head through a story. And this book is not judging you for having questions. You know what I mean? Hmm. And, uh, and it's also making your questions more complicated. It's not necessarily answering your questions. It's just making them more complicated in some ways. Hmm. Like different characters have different worldviews. And sometimes these worldviews compete. And sometimes somebody is right and somebody's wrong. Sometimes nobody is right and nobody is wrong. And like sometimes it feels like nobody's right and nobody's wrong. But really somebody is right and somebody's wrong. And by wrong. the end, yeah. you're like, you find out. Like yeah. the author reveals that. Yeah. That's so interesting, like, what power an author has over the reader. Right. Yeah. And then also just words in general. Like, I've always been in love with words and language. And, like, something that I've really loved about reading, like, a lot of medieval literature in the last few years is um, watching the English language progress. And, like, if you know a little bit about the history, which I I don't know a lot about the history, but, like... um, English started out very Germanic. And then when the Norman conquest happened in like the late Middle Ages, um, a lot of the French and the Latin filtered in. And so when you're reading, um, like we are getting a history lesson. (laughs) This is (laughs) more than I bargained for, but I'm like, I'm like, okay, go on. Well, I'm just, yeah, it's really cool. Right. Yeah. It's super cool. So if you're reading like Beowulf, it feels like a totally different language. This is old English and it feels very Germanic. It feels like you're reading German or like some Scandinavian language that you don't really understand. But once you get to like the Canterbury Tales, that's middle English and you see a lot of the French happening and you're like, oh, I understand this. You start reading it aloud and the words sound like English, even though they don't really look like English. Huh. Yeah. And that's because the French and the Latin have come in and we understand the French and the Latin part, I think, better than maybe the German. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm taking your word for it. <laughs> I like, wow, that's so interesting. Okay. I literally have not really ever studied how did English happen. Mm-hmm. So, wow, that's really 
really interesting. I know is so is old English. The, I've never read old English. The closest I can think of is like King James. Yeah, that's that's past Middle English. That's okay. like past Shakespeare. Okay, I'm like <laughs> I don't know time yeah. or history. I'm like I don't the King James version. Is yeah. that like well, these definitely these and thous? Like that's that's, that's definitely an past, era. So yeah. Okay. So a lot of people see Shakespeare as like the beginning of modern English. Okay. So Middle English came before Shakespeare. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then I the, need like a visual timeline. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> And then the King James Bible happened like hundreds of years after that. And so okay. that's even more modern than Shakespeare. I am such an idiot. Like I'm, yeah. you're like, no, that's right. decades, that's a lot of centuries people... later, <laughs> you fool. Peasant who doesn't know English. Like, a lot sorry. of people don't no, know. Just... Like, like if you're <laughs> nerdy just... enough, you know. If you're no. not, you don't. No, like... I, I find it fascinating. <laughs> I, listen, part of me bringing people on is, I, and I, I hope to always say this is I am very aware of what I don't know. Like I'm hoping I don't come off arrogant enough to be like, Oh yes, obviously it was, uh, you know, pre Shakespeare, all of this. Like I literally know I, I, so much of my knowledge is like an inch deep and a mile wide, of, <laughs> which is why I ask a lot of questions about stuff. So, so like great. Shakespeare is, was around the time of the Renaissance. And a lot of right. people see the Renaissance as like the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of like modern quote unquote. Okay. And times. that's, is that where. So this was like the 1500s, the 16th century, like kind of late 1500s. Okay. So then the medieval like fair that you've been reading and like posting about, is that pre, is that the Middle Ages? Yes. Okay. So yes. that's also pre Shakespeare. Yes. And the Middle Ages were a really huge chunk of human history. Like, they they were almost, like, a thousand years right. long. Right. So, like, the year, I think, 500 AD is where people kind of mostly start the Middle Ages. And then, like, 1500-ish is where they kind of end it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That is the middle, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is so interesting um thanks for the hit like that history lesson that is so i'm so intrigued <laughs> it's and a really broad so, in general it, history lesson yeah like, it's I don't a know ten thousand foot ten thousand foot level is totally all we need yeah. for this <laughs> a deep dive perhaps on another episode but that's that's perfect for now um who are some of your favorite authors um, well, definitely C.S. Lewis. Okay. Like, I could read C.S. Lewis all day long. Because... Have you read all of, like, his... No. Okay. No, they're... Like, if you Google his name and you look up everything he's written, it... Like, there's no way somebody could read all of his stuff in there. Because he's life. read... He's done books and essays and... Yeah. Did he... Was he ever, like, a report, like a... I imagine him writing for a newspaper for some reason. Too. I, I think I'm getting him confused with Chesterton. Yeah, I don't know much about Chesterton. Lewis was an Oxford literary professor, and he went to Cambridge later on in his life. Um, so he spent a majority of his life studying literature. Okay. And um, he's written a lot of, like, the obviously his most... I guess, important and famous writings or like his theological ones. Um, but he's also written a ton of stuff just about literature in general. Mm -hmm. And like, I just started reading some of that stuff and mm -hmm. it's blowing my mind. Like, okay. Like what? So what are you reading? Well, so <laughs> I read a book last year called the allegory of love and it blew me away. Was that the one he wrote to his wife? No. So okay. it is, um, it's like this entire study on um, this phenomenon that happened in the Middle Ages called courtly love. It's a movement and it mostly is adultery. Oh, and, oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, right. So Tristan and Isolde wins yeah, okay. a lot of Guinevere. Okay. Um, and basically it's our foundation of romance for a lot of reasons. Like... Um, like modern romance, like what when we think of romance. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, we all kind of know and understand that marriages were arranged most throughout most of history. You I, know? Yeah, like literally except the last 
maybe 100, 70, yes. I would say closer to 70 years. Yes. Yes. We've been saying, I'm going to so, find my own mate. Right. But yeah. It's, rarely, rarely has marriage ever really been about love until right. modern times. It's more been about power or. Right. Yeah. Or political interest. Yes. Uh, baby making. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Good breeding. Right. <laughs> so. Um, and then there was, I don't know how much I'm going to get into it because it's, there are a lot of things to talk about here, but. <laughs> well, well, listen, we'll do a C.S. Lewis episode, but, but no, that just, even that of like what we think of romance and how like it's based in adultery. Yeah. Because it had to be because if you fell in love with somebody, if you were a man and you fell in love with a woman, she was probably already married because women got su married super young. Right? Okay. And men did not marry for love. So right. that was the only way it could go. And what he would have to do was he would have to court her. You know what I mean? Okay. And he would have to do this in a way that was chivalrous and humble and made it obvious that he was putting her before himself. And so hmm. that's where you get like nightly deeds for, for ladies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And so, wow. yeah. Right. Weird. I know. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. And he wrote an entire <laughs> study on this stuff and it's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That is crazy. Okay. So C.S. Lewis is, you said like, an author that you are loving currently? Well, I've loved him for years. I, I, um, my first like real falling in love with him happened when I read the screw tape letters when I was like 24. Um, what's this? I, um, I, I would imagine a lot of people will know, or I, I mean, have heard of the screw tape letters. I've not, I've not read them, but I know, can you give a brief overview of what yes. the screw tape letters So are? the screw tape letters, is fiction but it feels like it's real mm -hmm. and um the idea is that there are these two demons who are like messing with this christian's head and trying to get him to throw off his faith and um you know so that he could go to hell and uh there's a ton of theological commentary, a ton of like psychological commentary, a ton of um, political commentary through the whole thing. Um, and when you're reading it, like if you, if like in, if you've been in any type of like walk with Jesus, if you've, um, you know, been in any type of faith background or anything you feel like c.s lewis is reading your mind it's mm. super weird but that's how you that's just how he is like he he says the thing that you're already thinking and like if you're struggling with something that he's saying um if he brings something up to you where you're like i don't know about that mm. but what about this thing and then he'll be like you might be wondering what about this thing <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll answer that and you're like dude wow <laughs> like, yeah so it's very relatable yeah. In a lot of ways. Isn't yes. it an uncle writing to uh, his nephew? Yes. It's like, it's an uncle demon writing to his nephew demon. And he's like training him in the demon world. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have not ever read the screw tape letters, but I have heard many an excerpt, many a people who say it is such a phenomenal read. Yeah. I... I have a copy of oh, it. Yeah, you should read it. It's <laughs> I really, it's super readable. Like you just turn and turn and turn the pages. I bet, yeah. and it's probably very convicting. Yeah, it's great. How? Um, so you are a Christian? Yes. How? Like, so with C.S. Lewis being someone that you have been like have loved as an author, how does your faith, or how has your faith affected? the things that you have read like is there um i don't know how i want to i don't know how i want to word this um like i guess just how has that affected how you read what you read um do you think about that what what does being a christian mean for 
like reading? Like, has that influenced the people that you read or what you've read? Um, yes and no. I feel, I feel like it's really hard to read any classics without thinking about Christianity because mm. it's, it's all over the place in the Western classics. Mm. Even authors who aren't Christians deal with it. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't think you have to look too hard for like uh, thoughts of Christianity and thoughts of God and thoughts of faith when you read. Cause it's, I just feel like it's all over the place. Um, I, as far as CS Lewis goes, uh, he, I feel like, how do I describe it? Like, there are a lot of things that I feel like he kind of sorted out for me. Hmm. And um, he, I guess what he taught me is that it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to feel like God is mysterious in some ways. Hmm. Um it's okay to kind of embrace the mystery of Jesus and God in the first place. Mm. You know, uh, the, the world is a mysterious and spiritual place to begin with, uh, because God created it, you mm -hmm. know, um, not that, uh, not that you, you can't find God through science because I believe that you can, you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. But, but I also think, there's something about the world. There's something about life. There's something about the nature of the soul that can't be explained or even expressed in full through words and through science. And mm -hmm. God is all over that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like C.S. Lewis understands that. And that comes through in most of his work. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cause he was, he was an atheist, yes. right? Yeah. So he has such a unique view on faith and what it means to be a Christian, I would think, especially what in the, like during the time of like the atom bomb and like yeah. world wars that he yeah. saw and lived through. Uh -huh. And so I just, yeah, it would, his, I would imagine his writing, I've literally never read anything by C.S. Lewis, oh but I have books. I have, his, I have several of his books, which you would, you would <laughs> which, love them. I'm such a bad, like, so I'm, I feel like such a bad Christian to be like, I've never read Lewis. Like I have, I do have several of his books, um, which is hilarious because as a side note, I am such a book collector, which you mentioned to me one time in and in, we were, we were chatting on Instagram and you're like, well, there is something to be said for people who collect books and people who read books. So like, <laughs> they're said to be two different hobbies. And I felt so like I've been found out. <laughs> I am a book collector. I did not, with through no <laughs> intention of being such, but I was, I just, I laughed so hard and I obviously still find it so humorous that I am, I have all these, I mean, I have many books and I still find myself buying. I, there is a really cool like box set of, um, C.S. Lewis books like Mere Christianity and Screwtape Letters and The Four Loves and uh, the, um, oh, what is it? The uh, Abolition of Man. Yeah. And it was, and I, I've had it in my Amazon cart for a really long time. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, I want to buy this. But I, at the same time, I'm like, but will I actually read it? Is it worth the, like, I think it's like 45 bucks or something. And so I was well, like, it'd be nice to just have all of them. A lot of those ones that you mentioned are really short. Like Abolition of mm -hmm. Man is like 80 pages. Oh, okay. Problem of Pain is probably not even 200. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Like Mere Christianity is super short. They're short and sweet. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, could, you can knock them out in like two days and you're like, your mind is blown by the end. So, which makes me, it's see, and that's so interesting. I think because I will, I have books by like people who I consider to be great, like pastors or theologians, like John Piper or 
Tim Keller. And I just, I want to read through their books slowly because I don't want to miss something. Yeah. I want to take in the richness rather than just read it and let the Lord reveal what he's going to reveal. Mm-hmm. And, and so I will start many books, yeah, but not finish them. Cause I'm just, I get new ones all the time. So it's so, do you have any advice for me on how to finish a book? That's, I mean, that's so silly, but like I, I find my interest all over the place Uh and I literally have probably five or six books that I've started that I just haven't finished and not because I've been bored. Some of them are very intense. Um, Nancy Piercy's book called love thy body Mm -hmm. is really heavy and filled with like scientific jargon that I just was like, Oh my gosh. And heavy theologically deals with, so, I mean, and it, it brings them together. So for me, it's a lot I want to take in. I want to make sure that I'm absorbing it correctly. And so I have to like take a break from certain books that are heavy like that and read something a little lighter, I guess. I don't know. I just... I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not a consistent reader. I'm hoping that there are people that are listening that are with me and like, yeah, I have a stack on my nightstand of books that I've started. That So just... I will tell you that I read a lot of books at the same time too. Okay. I, um, I think I've got a few going right now. Like I've been reading this English epic poem called The Fairy Queen, like all year yeah you've posted a lot about it yeah it's on cool. instagram it's yeah it's a cool book it's a book of poems you said it's so it's an epic poem um, oh okay epic yeah so it it's just um it's like it's kind of a morality tale in a way um it focuses on a bunch of different nights and each night is like assigned a different virtue and they have like a, a different journey and like, oh, okay but so you're uh, in the mo- so you've been reading that yes like all year and I put it down a few times and I picked it back up and like loved it and then like if I get bored then I'll put it down again and then I'll pick up something else and so like I I do the same thing as you I buy a bunch of books and I let them sit for a while <laughs> like yeah. I, I do the same thing like I don't think I don't think you need to be ashamed of that um but Thank you have you. the books here I do <laughs> so you see them they're in my they're on my bookshelf right right I know and and I think like maybe maybe don't be so nervous about how you're taking the book in because Mm -hmm. if you don't understand something you can think about it for a little bit and then you can turn right back to the page and you can see all the words again and you might have totally different thoughts yes you know what I mean yes like they're there for you they're they're right in front of you they don't judge your books don't judge you books don't judge you yeah That's so interesting. Do you think that that is a big reason why like a lot of book people tend to be introverts? Maybe. Yeah. I wonder if there's a correlation to that. Yeah. I mean, apart from the obvious, like, I just want to be with me and my books and like, yeah, the idea that, well, nobody can judge me for doing this. What an interesting. Yeah. It's, it's possible. I mean, like I, um, I feel a lot more confident when I'm writing than I am when I'm like speaking to somebody about my opinions and my thoughts, because I know that I won't be interrupted. You know what I mean? Like, I know that I won't have somebody like come at me like, well, what about this? And I'll be like, well, let me just explain myself. And I think reading is kind of like that in the vein of like thinking. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so you can be patient with yourself while you're reading. You can work out your thoughts a little bit. You can watch characters work out their thoughts. You can like look at a really strong statement that the author says and be like, do I, do I believe this? Hmm. Maybe, maybe I do believe this or Hmm. maybe I kind of believe it or, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can work these things out and you don't feel the pressure to understand them all right away. And Hmm. I think that's a really cool gift of reading. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so you said C.S. Lewis is one of your favorite authors. What is an author or authors that have surprised you the most that you like? You perhaps heard about them, or you picked up a book and you just were 
not sure, but then ended up loving their mm -hmm. writing by the end. Um, if there are any, I know yeah. that's a really interesting, like nuanced question. Well, I mean, I guess I could say, I could, I mean, everybody loves Anna Karenina and it's like everyone who's read it knows why everybody loves it. Um, Hmm. So I'll, I'll go into that later, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely like, I remember when I was like 20 or 21 or something, I picked up Catcher in the Rye and I wanted to read it for the hipster points. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so oh, glad you can admit that. Yeah. It's so hipster. Yeah. Like this book, you know, like, like I'm, I, this is me against the world. Like, you know what I mean? All of that stuff. That's why I wanted to read it. And I, I'm like reading this book and there's this kid who is so frustrated with the world and you like, you relate to him, you understand him. And he's like, he feels like it's, it's like he is trying to be bigger than the world so that he can defend himself against the world but in reality he's just this kid and the world is coming at him and mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that he like has to process he's like having it's like it's like an inner monologue kind of um and the more you learn about him the more your heart breaks for him and the more you relate to him and then like by the end of the book i was sobbing like wow yeah and like um it was just, it was, it was very surprising. I didn't expect it to emotionally affect me so much, but like it, it teaches that book. I feel like is one of those books that teaches you to forgive your younger self. So it's catcher in the rye. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if you're writing down a list of books <laughs> this far, if you started a list, yeah. it's catcher in the rye. If, if you haven't already read it, which I feel like that's, it's a shocker. I haven't read that one either, but I feel like that is one that is like an English class that some people are probably a lot of people read in high school mm -hmm. or it's one of yeah. those kind of classics. I feel like people look at it and they think, oh, teenage kid railing against the world. Like what's new? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But I think if you are really paying attention to what's happening to this kid, it's really hard not to sympathize and even empathize with him huh so yeah Very cool okay <laughs> um so you mentioned we've talked a little bit around like russian literature okay so why should everyone read a russian author the russians are very concerned about what makes a human a human, how God relates to humanity, um, what the shape of a human soul looks like, um, the theology of sin and salvation, uh, the purpose of suffering, hmm. the meaning of life. Uh, they just, they cover it all. And wow. so like, and um, the, the big ones that everybody knows about, something about being stuck in one of those big fat books for like a year and a half or however long it takes you four months, whatever it makes you preoccupied with those questions for as long as you're reading that book. And by mm. the end of it, you may have changed your mind about some things. Um, you may have solidified your mind about certain things. You may have like found nuances you didn't know were there about certain things and uh they're just uh they're they feel fearless to me especially dostoevsky dostoevsky feels like he's fearless to talk about the darkest side of like the human soul it's what's, almost like what's his most famous book probably crime and punishment okay and it's been forever since i've read it but i think that if i were to recommend dostoevsky i would say read crime and punishment um i think it's it's I would say that's the one that is like his idea of why we're all here, what we're all doing here. Um, it's a scary book because his, I mean, it's called crime and punishment. Yeah. It's not very uplifting as, no. as a title. <laughs> no, his, his protagonist is this young man who decides that, uh, 
he is like the ubermensch. He is the apex predator. He is above humanity. So he can do whatever he wants, including kill people who don't belong there. Hmm. And he tests this out by killing an old woman in a shop with the blunt end of an axe. And then the rest of the novel Hmm. is his psychological torment until he gets caught. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, spoiler alert, maybe? <laughs> well, but, but the spoiler anyway. <laughs> happens right at the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, all that stuff happens right at the beginning. So it deals okay. with, um, you know, like nihilism, the dark side of like Darwinian theory. Uh, just the idea that life is meaningless and what that ideology does to a culture okay oh yeah it's like a godless culture yes Mm. yeah okay so crime and punishment is that where you would if someone's listening and they've never considered reading this type of literature before is crime and punishment what you would recommend where people start i mean that's really heavy if you like what if you i i the other thing is there are going to be people who aren't christian so does what you like if you identify as a christian do you think that that also plays a part in what where you would recommend someone starts yeah yeah i think anyone could read crime and punishment and understand the theology of like salvation by the end of it okay so Um, that's not where you think people should start no where should people start i would start with anna karenina um it's it's friendlier i mean it does get dark in a lot of places but there's more of a friendly like atmosphere to it you feel like you're um just hanging out with your aunts and uncles and your sisters and brothers when you get to know all these characters there's a huge array of characters um I don't know if you've seen like the Kira Knightley movie, but it really does not cover that is, the meat of the book. That is my only connection to Anna. Yeah, Karen. And I, I think <laughs> so, is watching that movie. Yeah, I like that mm. movie. I think it's a cool film. I like all the creative ways they portrayed the general plot, um, but I think that it misses the like Christianity and theology in the book, which is a huge bummer to me because that's like the whole point of the book. It's made, it's Hollywood made. So of, I mean, they even do that to Nicholas Sparks books and his books are, I mean, the totally different genre entirely, but his books are very faith, yeah, like written with a lot of faith in them. And they remove that almost entirely, like yeah. in great chunks. Guts, so it guts that's, the book, you know? And I don't think, I don't think that every book has to be Christian or that every book has to like, um make you think about god but i do think that if a book does do that and if that's the whole point of the book and if that's what gives the book its power like why gut that in the movie well because they want to remove christianity like to promote the godlessness of hollywood obviously it just makes it all worse like it's true (laughs) i won't disagree with you i'm i don't doubt that and no i mean it it i would say by doing that so you're my I guess I would submit that it takes away like the skeleton of like what the soul the, the, the very the soul, soul of, of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally makes it godless soulless that's yeah. interesting and I think wow. that people the reason people love books like that is because they're reminded that they have souls they're mm. reminded that they have hearts and flesh and blood and and thoughts and feelings you know mm. what I mean and that's that's definitely um, something that Anna Karenina is about is like, uh, and like I was talking to you about before this idea that God is everywhere, that um, spirituality is a fact in the world. Like I feel like Anna Karenina covers those things. Hmm. Like there are um, a lot of unspoken conversations between like uh, like a pair of lovers, they might just have entire conversations just with their eyes, but they know what the other person is thinking. Mm-hmm. Or um, there are moments when like, like when Anna and Vronsky, Vronsky is the man that she ends up taking as a lover later on. Um, she, when they first fall in love at this 
party, this one character, Kitty, who is already in love with Vronsky, watches them dance. And she sees the way they're looking in each other's eyes. And Mm. she knows that it's over between her and Vronsky. She knows Mm. just by watching it happen. She looks and Mm. she knows something that nobody else has noticed yet. But she knows. Yeah. And so, like, Mm. they're... they're, and I feel like that's something that Anna Karenina covers is the idea that um, there are things that you know that can't necessarily be expressed in words. And if you try, it's just going to like take away the purity of the thought or the feeling in general. Mm. And um, that's something that only the soul can understand, you know? Mm. So. Wow. And you think that that, Wow. And that is particularly captured more so in not just Anna Karenina, but you think in like by Russian authors in literature. It's it's like another level of, it's not, I mean, I, gosh, I referenced Nicholas Spark because it's so like teenagery, but like the way that you, I mean, you make a very compelling case to read there is this, um, so one of the things that happens in Anna Karenina is one of the the two main characters, there's two protagonists, one of them is obviously Anna, but the other one is Levin, and the two of them only meet, like, once in the whole book, because they don't really have anything to do with one another, they both have different journeys, mm. but Levin is going through this crisis of faith through the whole book, that's, like, half of the book is Levin's crisis of faith, mm. and he goes through, like, um, different schools of thought when it comes to like evolutionary science, when it comes to like ideology, like, like nihilism, people like Nietzsche, uh, you know, secular humanism, all of these things. And like the one thing that gets him is when he is talking to, um, I think it's the, the, the church father. I don't know what they call those in Orthodox in like Eastern Orthodox church, but the church father that's about to marry him starts asking him about his beliefs and about his faith. And um, Levin has to be honest because he's just this honest person and he doesn't feel right about being dishonest. And so he tells mm-hmm. him, he's like, I'm, I'm not a believer. I don't believe in God. And then the case that the Reverend makes isn't scientific. It isn't like apologetic. It's all about like, when you look around you and you see things like love and beauty, you know, where do you think those things come from? Hmm. And that's the thing that compels him. And Hmm. when he sees this play out in his family life, that's when he comes to faith. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right. (laughs) I don't, I don't really know where, where to go um but i mean i would say i i'm very intrigued i wow so definitely sounds like although a commitment because most of these books are bricks Mm -hmm. that they would be they are an intensive like journey yeah and and Tolstoy's funny like you read his stuff and you're like that's funny you know like <laughs> like um Levin is this guy who just feels like he doesn't belong anywhere and he cares about things like politics but he kind of hates politics so he goes to this election <laughs> and uh he knows which way he's going to vote, but by the time he does it, he can't remember which box you're supposed to put your vote in for which thing. And he puts his vote in the wrong box. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how relatable is that? Like he has a very passionate opinion about which way he's going to vote. But once he does it, he does it wrong because it has to do with like Ooh. something stupid as which box it goes into, <laughs> you know? And like those kinds of things are all throughout the oh, book. So okay. Tolstoy, I don't, I think, Tolstoy is like long winded for sure, but you don't have to be some kind of intellectual genius to get Tolstoy. He writes for normal people. (laughs) That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, speaking of faith and kind of bringing uh, Russian literature is great. 
Um, it sounds great. That sounded so dismissive and it did not mean to be. I'm trying to figure out how to transition, but I mean, like I've said up to this point, we are, we are learning all the things here. So, um, the other thing that since we are both Christians, reading is something that we, especially the Bible is something that we both do. And that's a part of being a Christian is reading the Bible. Um, since I don't really know how to transition, I'm just going to kind of ask like, what is important or great to you about reading the Bible? Cause it's so interesting. The story that these, this literature takes and the religious spiritual aspect that they seem to, um, have in them. What is it? And oddly, if for people who haven't read the Bible, there are some incredible stories, especially in the old Testament that mm-hmm. are just, I'm pretty sure Hollywood gets everything from the Bible. Like yeah. there's nothing, <laughs> there's, there's, there are gruesome, ridiculous, crazy stories. Well, the Bible that... <laughs> is the story of people, you know? Yeah. And, and so every story is going to resemble it in some ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I just took a, a class at my church about how to read the Bible. And one of my, pa- the pastor who was leading it, he said, the Bible is literature. Yeah. Like a lot of the same rules apply. Yeah. There are books of poetry and uh-huh. history and wisdom and you read it. A lot of the same things apply, which I real I'm sure I've heard before, but it, I really heard it this time. And I just thought that that was wildly intriguing. And so as someone who does have a great affection for reading, what, what is so great about the Bible? So you said, you started to say that it is a book about people. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, like people rise and fall and screw up and, um, God loves them and redeems them and redeems his story through the whole thing. And Mm. all that does is show how great and gracious and good God is, you know, Mm. like uh, something that always blows my mind is when I think of like Nebuchadnezzar, because he was somebody who wanted nothing to do with God, you know, Mm. and he was content to be murderous and, like horrible and awful and uh god drove him crazy on purpose and he ended up like being i think i don't know if he exiled himself or what but he was in exile for a while and um he went crazy like he went nuts Mm -hmm. and uh by the end of it he had humbled himself before god and um he had become a changed person and he wrote like a snippet of the book of Daniel and he honored God in that. And like, when you read stuff like that and you're like, wow, that, that was God's mercy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That wasn't Mm -hmm. God's punishment because by the end of it, he, he believed in God and he believed that God was the most high God. And like, it led him to, some semblance of salvation. Like, I don't remember if he decided that God was just part of the pantheon of gods that he believed in or what, but he, he knew God by the end of it. And that was God's mercy, Mm. you know? And so, um, yeah, like, yeah, it's interesting. It's like you read the Bible and you start to understand that, like sin is not just like a white lie. Sometimes sin is like manipulating a man to go to the front line so that he will get murdered and you can steal his wife, <laughs> you know, and anybody could do something David. like that. Yeah. Anybody. Could, yeah. You That's know? the stuff you see in Hollywood movies. Yeah. Like truly like. And you see this stuff in your own life too. You see people do things that you know why they're doing them and maybe even they know why they're doing them. And they are not honest about why they're doing them. And then the whole world blows up, you know, Mm -hmm. like people do that stuff and God still loves them and God still asks us to love them. Mm. Yeah. That's the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) And that's that's the Bible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Um, what, how do you think that reading all of this great literature that you have read has influenced how you read the Bible? Um, I definitely think I've, um, I've seen, uh, you never really want to call Bible characters characters because it makes them sound like fictitious. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. But I think I've been able to see them as more human than as like symbols or whatever. But that mm. also might come with life experience. I don't know. Um, I think reading poetry has helped me a ton. Um, it's helped me understand like symbols and metaphor and stuff like that. Like, um, you can understand certain things like the book of revelation a little bit better once you've read a lot of poetry. Um, like, Mm. uh, the idea of, um, Christ with the sword in his mouth, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you understand once you've read some poetry and once you've read, you know, the gospels that mm. the sword is not necessarily a literal sword. It's truth itself. Mm. But then again, Christ is truth itself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it means when it says um, the word became flesh. Right. John. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's good. Uh yeah okay uh what has reading taught you about god and that obviously i mean so much of what you've already said has the even the like the literature that you currently are reading or you know even like you said with a lot of russian literature god and faith are themes weaved so much throughout those books Um, so what has reading that taught you about God and how has it shaped your identity in Christ? Um, so I think you can read, um, I mean, no matter what you read, no matter where it comes from, no matter what time period it comes from, you see a lot of the same things happening, a lot of the same questions being asked, you know, what is suffering for, Mm. um, what is love for uh like why do people sacrifice themselves for each other um why do we go to war um and a lot of people have a lot of different cultures have different answers for that but the idea that those questions are asked all over the place tell me that everybody wants to be loved on by their father in heaven Mm. and uh, I think when you read the Bible, you find out that it's the, the opposite is true too. God just wants to love on his children. You know what mm. I mean? Um, mm. and, there, yeah, there is a piece of us that is lo- like God has created us to know that he exists. There is an yeah. attribute that like, that's what we search for. Yeah. And, and I think that's the soul. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, as far as my identity in Christ, um, I've just, I, I think reading has just made me an empathetic person, like in a lot of ways. Um, I've like, it's humbled me in some ways. Like when you see yourself in a character that you don't like, Mm. (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And then, uh, or if you see characters that you do like and realize you're nothing like them, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, it's made me see what things that I like want and hope for and that those are not so different than other things that other people want and hope for. And um, I just... Yeah, I think, like I said, I just think that we're all, we all want to be loved on by our father in heaven. And I think reading has, has shown me that in a lot of clarity. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, reading is so powerful. Like you said in the beginning about how it can just 
transport you into something and like books don't judge you. But it's interesting how the Bible is like living an active word of God yeah. and how not that it judges you, but it's the Holy Spirit that would convict us yes. as we would read it. And I would imagine that in the same way that some uh, every other piece of literature might not judge that there would probably be an avoidance of well the bible has it's just rules and regulations of life basic instructions before leaving earth <laughs> you know like that yeah. that whole thing but what would be your encouragement so we've gone through like why people should read russian literature and just read classics and read C.S. Lewis. But what would be your encouragement for why someone should read the Bible? Like if they're listening to this and they're feeling compelled or they're curious about who God is, curious about this Jesus person, what would be, why would you say that they should read their Bible? Well, I think you feel like you're less alone, you know, like you find verses that say things like, um, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and mm -hmm. everyone has been brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you find verses that say, I have heard the cry of my people, you know, mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole book on lamenting, like yeah, lamentation, like right? yeah. Job, the story of Job, like, yeah, wild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and if you don't feel like being that introspective at the moment, you can find some like crazy story about David or like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if you feel like reading poetry, you can read Psalms, mm -hmm. you know, if you feel like uh, asking all of the questions of life, you can turn to Ecclesiastes. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you feel like knowing exactly what it was that Jesus said, go to the Gospels. Like, mm -hmm. There's, there are a ton of reasons to read the Bible, um, but they're like, when you read it, it doesn't feel like, I think if you can, if you can shut, like I said, if you can shut out the world while you read the Bible, mm. it turns into this really personal thing. Mm. And I think that's kind of what's important. You find out that like God wants to talk to you that's why you're reading your bible in that moment mm -hmm. you know god has things to say to you mm -hmm. like it's it like when people are like i don't hear from god it's like have you read your bible lately? right right and i've been told that <laughs> and i've been i have needed to hear that it's yeah. like oh yeah <laughs> that's right mm -hmm. like there is a it's it's not <laughs> It's, it's so obviously such a unique book in that way. Um, but wow. Yeah. I think. And, and it's so, I mean, it is more than literature. That's the, the thing is that for me, it, that made it less intimidating, I think, yeah. to, to look at it from a perspective of like, oh, this is literature. So the ways you can read it. And I think that's the other thing that makes it so incredible is you can read the same book multiple times throughout your life and it will have based off of where God has you in your life and how he has grown you and what he, how he wants to sanctify you. It will mean something very different yeah. for you in your life, which I'm sure is probably true about, other literature but I just I feel like that's such a powerful reason to read scripture because it doesn't change like the words don't change like yeah. there's nobody editing what <laughs> well yeah and like know. not that everybody needs to like learn the history of the compilation of the bible and all that stuff which if you want to it's really cool you it's know super interesting yeah yeah church history right but uh when you do find out about like the history of translations and translating and all of that stuff and you find out how little editing has really changed the Bible yeah. and that it really hasn't changed the meaning of it at all. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's quite it's, it's quite miraculous wild. yeah there's a um oh my gosh i don't remember i don't remember oh never mind i was i was getting there's a class on theos you um which is a distilled like bible and theology it's like netflix for theology and they have a really great class about um about that. it's like it's within a class it's a it's uh and I forget which class it is. I'm pretty sure Nathan Finocchio taught it. And I cannot remember what it's called, but I remember watching it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's just how, why the Bible is different than like other pieces of literature. Mm-hmm. And yet there were like thousands of copies of original yeah. manuscripts. Yes. Yet there's like one or two copies of like stuff by Plato. Like yes. Yeah. And people are like, hold that up and revere it so much. But right. they're like, but the Bible's garbage. And it's like, what yeah. are you? Let's just talk factually yeah. about yeah. The, the copies that are main, like you said, mainly untouched. The meanings do not change even in like the slight structural of like a comma here or sure. like a happy birthday, man, or like, <laughs> man, happy birthday. Right. Like that's, it's literally right. the same point. But it's, it, yeah, it's, it's wild. So, gosh, I feel like such a fool for not remembering what class that was. Uh, but anyway, theosu.org. It's great. Everybody should. It's, I, I've totally nerded out on it for the last <laughs> year or so. Um, so, Tesha, thank you so much for being here. Where can we find you on the social medias? So I have an Instagram account where I just like rant about books and literature all day long. And that is at novel period gazing. It's great. I love it. Hashtag books of Instagram. Um, thank you so much for coming by and hanging out. Um, at to Taylor asks a question and don't forget to um, like and subscribe and check us out um, on our next episode. And thanks uh, everybody for stopping by. Thanks so much, Tasha. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, you guys are first guest on the pod. Can you even? Thanks so much for joining me for this conversation with Tesha. I hope this encourages you to pick up your favorite piece of literature, whether it's a classic on your bookshelf, one that you may have put down sitting on your nightstand, or a new one mentioned today. Feel free to reach out to Tesha. I know she would love to discuss any of the books she has mentioned on the podcast today. Um, her Instagram handle again is novel.gazing. And I just pray that this has given you some curiosity to open up the Bible if you haven't before. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, please reach out to me directly. You can find me on Instagram at Taylor Asks a Question. That's T-A-Y-L-E-R, asks a question on Instagram. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform. Now, go share this with a friend who loves to read. You're always welcome here. All glory be to God, and thanks for listening.